This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. My voice sounds different because we're playing around with new production techniques. We're moving back slightly into the space age. Zoom sort of worked, but Zoom has also sort of failed us in many ways. Not unlike this wrestling industry, it sort of worked. It sort of failed us. And here to talk to us today and tell us all about the news of the week and to lead us and guide us is your friend, my friend, Jeff Hawkins. Hi, Jeff. Crushing morosity. That's the only way anybody could describe this week. I mean, last week we we logged off and went, God, that's exhausting. And then just the first half of this week, it was like, well, maybe things are getting back to Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> and you're just you're like, okay. And I don't think shoes have stopped falling yet. No, I don't think it's over. Uh, I remember you and I uh, talking in the infamous DMs. I've noticed this has been a running theme on our show. You and I are in each other's DMs. We were talking about how the speaking out story was either going to go into, you know, like you have one, two, three, maybe four shoes drop, and then things kind of, you know, resolve for now. Or this was going to just be an endless cascade because of all of the stories and rumors that have been around wrestling for years. And it has gone the second direction. And I agree with you. I don't think we are done with either of the two major stories. Like now, I think we're in a period where there will be a lot of talk about the speaking out based allegations and then. The other big story going through the industry now is COVID-19 and uh, the way WWE in specific has handled COVID-19. But AEW is not clean on that front either, not on Life with Speaking Out. By the time you hear this, Velveteen Dream may lo- no longer be employed. He had a car accident yesterday uh, and his Twitter is gone, his Instagram is gone, his social media is gone. Who knows? By the time you hear this, NXT UK may be be no more. Leggero and Travis Banks given their walking papers due to uh, the speaking out controversy. By the time you hear this, Jordan Devlin may be gone. I don't know for a fact what they're going to do with him, but he's been suspended indefinitely from progress, or they were let go from progress, I believe. Um, Oh, they were suspended. Uh, Currently, the wrestling landscape is a little lighter. Chikara and Bar Wrestling have both closed down due to behavior by the people involved there. TNA has released Michael Elgin, Dave Christ, and Joey Ryan. Um, Additionally, Tessa Blanchard has been given her walking papers. We'll discuss that in a little bit. Uh, With Spandex, the Uproxx outlet covering wrestling has been shut down due to allegations against Brandon Strout. No word if they're going to reopen. Probably second in command, I guess, or at least one of the secondary writers there, Danielle Matheson, was given orders by Trent Seven's attorney to cease and desist and delete all tweets. So we're getting lawyers involved in this whole thing. Yeah, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. I I get what Trent is trying to do. Uh, I'm not endorsing it, but I also don't think Trent's defense immunizes him from WWE saying, hey, Trent, buddy, why don't you get that all resolved and we'll catch up with you down the road maybe if everything goes well for you. Well, there's two reasons you'd lawyer up. You'd lawyer up because (laughs) you did it or you'd lawyer up because you didn't do it. I mean, it's not a, (laughs) you know, either way. And plus with British libel laws, I, I believe are a little, they're a little more lax. So if it was tried there, depending on where it was tried, um, <laughs> where else? Good Lord. Um, Marty Skrull tried to give an apology twice, which pretty much tells you all you need to know. If you're trying, if you apologize twice, the first one didn't quite take. 
And I don't think the second one necessarily cleaned anything up. I, you know, I, I guess part of it is is the apology right after you've been called out for the incident. What what I think I've kind of learned or like what I've kind of crystallized as the thought here in, in these last couple of weeks is that when someone does this, it's always the wrong move because you're only sorry because you've gotten caught. There's no way an appropriate amount of time has gone by to lead to a new formation in your way of thinking and moral being. You have been called out for a specific incident. When you come out and immediately apologize, all you're doing is admitting. You're not actually doing that next step. It's the person, the apologizer's attempt to hit the fast-forward button. Uh, And and clearly the right answer has to be uh, if you did it and you actually would like to do a real apology and maybe make amends and try to reconstitute yourself is to just go away uh, and and not try to do this thing that Skrull did or what so many others have done in the same vein as Skrull in the past and in the recent present. I'm sorry. Here's why it wasn't wrong. Isn't an apology. (laughs) It's that's the thing. That's what I'm sorry, but it was right. Legal. It's an admission. It's an admission. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, they think they're hitting the fast forward button, but really all they've done is hit pause. I'm sorry, but I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, well, <laughs> you still said you did it. Yeah. Also, why would you apologize if you didn't do anything wrong? It's a weird thing to say. It's essentially sorry you're offended by this thing, yeah. but this thing that's obviously offensive. Sammy Guevara has been suspended without pay. His pay will be going to, uh, I forget the name of the organization, but I believe it's a domestic abuse organization. A couple years ago on a podcast, basically rape fantasy about Sasha Banks. And he's a great example of the problem with the non-apology apology. And this is a guy who got kind of caught in this as well. So he you know, kind of came out and did the, oh, I'm sorry, but then he was liking comments that were... To the contrary, which was sort of showing his hand here. But, it I mean, it's kind of prima facie with just the timing. You, you can't just be instantly sorry. He, unless, you know, he actually had come out and created some really compelling narrative that he had really changed his thinking. And that was obviously not what was going on in his responses. Well, there were two. He, he was a double apology person, too, because his first apology was to people on Twitter. And everybody goes, no, the, the, why are you talking to us when you should be talking to Sasha Banks? Now, Sasha Banks, big baller Sasha over here, the only adult in the room coming in and going, hey. We talked privately. We settled it out. He realizes what he did was wrong. Far more grace than anybody had a right to give if they did. But it's just, I I get sometimes you have to learn these things the hard way. Knuckleheaded approach. Really just a knuckleheaded approach on Sammy Guevara's part. Yeah, and I hope that he gets it now. Because... I don't know that when he finished having the conversation with Sasha Banks, he did, and there seems to be some public evidence to suggest that he didn't. I hope that he gets it and uses this time to actually think on this stuff and and maybe even just move away from the sex god gimmick and kind of reset this thing. And uh, and some other minor organizations feeling the rumblings of this. I I don't have them all in front of me, but... uh... It's going to continue. Um, <laughs> someone joked, there's going to be a federation with a lot of good talent out there that's really, really creepy. I'm like, I, I don't know about that. I don't know what happens to these guys now. I, I really don't. Yeah, you, you know, I this going back to our infamous conversation, the DMs, we can kind of hash this out further here. I, I was saying that the, the problem, not the problem, but the thing about these guys is they have the wrong type of heat for you to want to watch them wrestle again. Like, I have no interest in ever seeing another Joey Ryan match. I will turn off that stuff. I'll walk away. I don't care. I I don't even want to give him my attention anymore because that's a resource, and he's trying to get it. Got no interest in this guy. And there are people now along this Joey Ryan-style spectrum here that, um, you know, I, I, I don't see myself being particularly enthusiastic about them being pushed as a baby face. 
and don't even really want to see them get their comeuppance as a heel in professional wrestling. I'd rather see them get their comeuppance with the law where applicable. If NXT UK shutters, it would not be the worst thing in the world. It really I don't know would. how you reset it. I, and also, I mean, it's not like this brand was lighting the world on fire anyways before this. No, it like, was there. Even was if there, you had all it, those talents, yeah. it, it, even if you still had Devlin, right? Um, that's not going to save NXT UK. The Imperium angle had stalled out because there were no real baby faces to push here. Um, Trent and Tyler Bate were interesting characters on the show, uh, but like now, obviously, you can't move forward with them. So how would you even reset this thing? They were the strongest babyface characters you had. I mean, what are you going to do? Send Pete Dunn over there and have him put the brand on his shoulders once again? They might. They might try to do that, but but they shouldn't. I think they just need to move on from this NXT UK thing. You know, bring Walter over, bring Kaylee Ray and Ginny, bring, um, you know, Tyler, Tyler and Trent, if they're clean, and then bring the hunt and then just shut her in because we got to have the hunt. I haven't heard any allegations about the hunt. No, honestly, to. the hunt. Uh, are they the top baby faces now? I think they always <laughs> were, but but now they definitely are. <laughs> Jeff, you know what? Maybe we save NXT UK just to give the hunt their own federation and they dismantle Imperium. And then Primate is your NXT UK champion. That's a federation. Uh, Kaylee Ray's the strongest character in there other than Walter, but uh So you, you know, build to a primate versus Kaylee Ray match. I'm here. <laughs> Actually I'm here I for mean, that. I'm here if Kaylee Ray goes I, over too. Uh yeah, oh, Tony, hey, no, Tony no, Storm for sure. as well. Tony for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right, all right. You're talking me into this. Tony Storm as well. Um Imperium's already over in NXT US, so their presence in NXT UK is kind of an afterthought. Uh, I mean, they, it's basically an organization that was put there to keep uh, world world of sport from getting a TV deal. So, and now they've served that function too. And I mean, Kaylee Ray versus Io Shirai as a like a unification match would be kind of interesting. I'm here for that. She's the best. Yeah. She's she's one of the best female heels out there right now, and she was definitely one of the more intriguing things about NXT UK for me, especially, you know, I, as I said, she, I thought she was the MVP of the uh, women's war games here uh, last year, other than the Dakota Kai turn, which was fantastic. Uh, A bit of fantasy booking here, but indulge us because I, I need some positivity along the way here. This is a bit of a bit of a march. Blanchard impact world champion. Let go by the promotion. She's been in Mexico quarantining, but she also hasn't been taping anything in terms of promos or anything for TNA. Uh, <laughs> Tessa, look, I'm going to give my, my biases out there. I rooted, I root for them. I root for the Blanchards. I do. Uh, but I'm not an apologist as a certain uh, Irish wrestling fan has accused me of being. I'm not a truther. She has a lot of baggage. She hasn't left anywhere well yet. She has the entire racial uh, bullying thing going on as well. I don't think she ends up in AEW. I think AEW is more of a communal type thing. And if somebody had a real problem with it, which I think they would, um, I don't think Tully is has enough stroke there. And I don't, you know, Tully is basically her stepfather in many ways because Magnum really really raised her i think if any major organization takes a chance on her it'll probably be ring of honor or it'll probably be wwe because wwe will say hey you have to work with her as opposed to does anybody have a problem with this right now kind of thing which is what aew would do in my opinion yeah um, i could see aew i mean i think they respect tully and i could see them give tessa the probationary trial like you were on thin ice we're going to put you in a few programs here lower in the card to test you out to make sure that you're willing to play ball and if she fails any of those tests um they they have a way of wiping their hands of her you know they they do use enhancement talent on, on a regular basis on aew so they could see real quickly if she's willing to play ball or if she's not willing to play ball in a way that would satisfy Tully, I think, if that's what Tully even wants to pull for. Yeah, for I don't even think Tully speaks up about this thing. I think I think it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I'll you know, 
I could be. I'm just saying, if Tully speaks up and really puts his foot down, considering how communal AEW is, I do think that they will find a way to strike a compromise that results in her getting a probationary shot. I think she ends up in NXT. I think she ends up much like Rachel Ellering with a different name, maybe like Tessa Allen, to get away from the quote-unquote stench of Tessa Blanchard. Maybe not even maybe not even Tessa as a first name. I think they get the hell away from from the Tessa Blanchard brand because it's just too toxic out there. That that'd be the only way I think of it. Or she just stays in Mexico with her fiance slash husband, does Japan tours occasionally, takes her chances on the indies. I I I, I could see either of those. I, I don't see her yeah, in I AEW got a The Renegade two. Oh, Jesus, stop don't don't dis don't don't derail the show with such nonsense chris please please i'm trying to trying to keep it all together but uh um, okay all right stay serious come look, on a- a- don't AEW think about could- the renegade too <laughs> aew could use female talent but i just don't see it i just i i think it's i think they don't want they're they're they're, they're a company that doesn't want heat on them and i just don't see them bringing in something like that i really don't but uh Look, she's talented, but she's 24, and she's still <laughs> she's still a bit of a brat, to be honest with you. And I, you know, I I I root for her, but you know, unless she's in an organization that will forgive her for being a jerk, like the WWE did with like Randy Orton, I I just don't see it. So into into even worse news, COVID nineteen has reared its ugly head at the tapings. Jamie Noble, Adam Pierce, Caleb Braxton, Renee Young all testing positive, making this even worse. Nobody from WWE management ever reached out to Renee Young after she got a test, her own test in Vegas, which has also affected AEW because uh, John Moxley stayed away this past week. Um got to give AEW some credit here. JR doing the little PSA on air reminding people to wear their mask. Uh that's important. Clearly that has been a problem with WWE and WWE has not been taking this seriously. Uh I mean, have we had more confirmation on the the number here being in the triple digits for WWE's organizational exposure to COVID nineteen? I have not seen triple digits. I've seen double digits. I've seen double digits. I've seen double digits. But okay, um, I thought that thing that you sent me said that there was multiple in triple digits. Oh, okay. Multiple reports, but but regardless, uh, I mean, look, uh, I I think that WWE. And I mean, this goes back to Vince's own pathologies. Vince doesn't take illness very seriously. And I think that WWE as an organization was very focused on wanting to run. We've seen all the telltale signs of that um, in the public eye going back to WrestleMania here where everything else is shutting down. And Vince was trying to find a way to keep WrestleMania going. WrestleMania occurs. They don't even talk about COVID-19. They just big it, bill it as a WrestleMania too big for one night, which, you know, we made fun of at the time. But now it's, I mean, beyond it being a show actively in denial about the realities going on in the world and trying to defend this by saying, oh, we just want to do escapism for the fans. I, I mean, the worst part this week, right, Jeff, was that statement from WWE where they go, we're doing it for the fans. It's about the fans first. And of course we care about the workers. But remember... As these workers are taking risks, they're doing it for your entertainment. <laughs> it's like that Disney slogan on on steroids, almost, or the Disney uh, thinking. It's like it's all about the guests. It's all about the guests. No, it's not. They have TV. No, and, and I don't want to see my favorite performers get sick um, a- any more than, frankly, I want to see my favorite performers come back right after a leg injury or a back injury and wrestle in a ladder match. Um, that's not for my entertainment. That's uh, the ladder match stuff is for someone's entertainment backstage. Uh, I don't take any joy in watching Dolph Ziggler come back from a knee injury and put himself physically at risk any more than I enjoy watching all of these performers come out and play fake audience and not be social distancing. I, you know, you don't even necessarily need them in mass i think that to aew's credit they found a good way of taking advantage of daily's place spreading everyone out and getting the sound of people chanting in a hall and you know 
chattering in a hall and filling in an atmosphere a lot better than WWE has with their hockey glass and everyone pressed up against it and smacking their hands against the hockey glass. I think you're giving a little too much credit to AEW. I really do. I, I, think, I, I don't I mean, think I'm giving them that much credit. Well, JR's flying back and forth. To, you know, Excalibur's flying back and forth. They're, I think everybody's flying into Atlanta and then driving to Jacksonville. It's not great, but at least they're doing something somewhat grounded in the realities of COVID-19 when they're doing a PSA. Has WWE to date done any form of a PSA no, involving no. COVID-19? Not, not one. Not one. Not one, as the organization now has it and is riddled with it. I mean, so, yeah, like, comparatively, I will give AEW credit because they have at least one. <laughs> Even if it is only one, that's still whatever multiple you like. Uh, what's one divided by zero? Indefinite? Or I, I, I didn't do great math when I was younger. Point being, WWE, yeah, they're sucking right now. And like they reflect an organization, their their performance reflects an organization who had a mentality going into this that was in denial of reality. There are reports that Kevin Dunn did yell at extras to not wear masks on the set. Um, you know, I, I I think for me, the big thing is that two people that are usually around Gorilla and Adam Pierce and Jamie Noble contracted this. And Vince McMahon, who is in his 70s, may or may not have done some PED things that might be affecting his immuno immune system. Um, no, I think that physique was all natural. <laughs> God just likes to put in the work. Psycho Pro. It's, you know. Psycho Pro is great. Yeah, you know. Um I'd I'd be concerned. I would, and I know I know got every everybody and their grandmother are thinking the irony of Vince McMahon contracting COVID when he is a noted germaphobe. You don't root for that. You don't, guys. No, Stop being... no, you, you don't root for it. Uh, I, I really want to stress this. We should never be rooting for anybody, no matter how much we don't like them, to get this, because this is a serious disease that is currently, I believe, the number three killer of Americans. So we shouldn't be rooting for it any more than we should be rooting for someone to get cancer or AIDS. And Kayla, this is her second time being COVID positive. You know, I, I just... I. That's alarming just because I, I've been seeing other reports this week about the, the fact that antibodies in, with COVID-19 apparently don't last very long. And to see Kayla Braxton kind of be the real world example of that. Jeez. Everyone just be safe right now, please. <sighs> Going into the news, which, <laughs> you know, on top of other news, we have news, Chris, but uh, cleaning up uh, some things from last week as well. Um, in the greatest wrestling match ever, uh, Edge tore his rotator cuff, came out with a rather long promo, pretty good promo, I thought, on, on Raw this week. Uh, but he's going to be on, off the uh, off the show for a while, pending a possible third comeback so every part of this edge comeback has actually been pretty good if you had a pair of editing shears and you could edit down this promo the matches uh, even the long wrestlemania too big for one night wrestlemania just super great wrestlemania that match yes it was agonizingly long but you could totally make a 10 to 12 minute super cut of that match and it'd be pretty dope um, same thing with the, the greatest wrestling match ever. If, if you thought it was too long, you can definitely edit it down and, and get it get it to an edit. Uh, the work is there. The promos are good. Um, it's just everything's been a bit long. But I like it. I like Edge. Um, I, I want to see him do more stuff. And I, I even just think as a talker, Edge is an interesting guy. Edge would be like an interesting manager character too in a promotion i think he's too tall to be a manager i know that sounds weird but he I, is... I was talking about like a general manager for like oh, the organization okay. versus being well you know he could be an interesting heel manager but yeah no as a baby face manager no absolutely not wwe backstage canceled by fs1 um the only of note interest there is i guess cm punk will no longer be uh doing anything wrestling related again um, I didn't, I, I watched a couple shows. It just wasn't my thing. It's not, doesn't have the fun of the bump. Doesn't have, you know, the cool promos of 
talking smack. It, it's more or less a WWE magazine style show that really wanted to keep kayfabe and get a couple celebrities on there. Yeah, I, I didn't. I think I if I watched one episode, that is all I ever watched of that show. It, I mean, talking smack was great, but it, it, they haven't captured the electricity of talking smack ever since they got rid of talking smack because they didn't like what made talking smack so fun that it existed in this world in between work and shoot and that the best segments on talking smack were not something that Vince could control. Yeah. The bump is fun because it's more lifestyle show behind the scenes type stuff with uh WWE performers. But um, yeah, I miss, I just miss that kind of promo driven type of wrestling that, that really is where my fandom comes from. I like wrestlers being in character, interacting with other wrestlers. And I've always enjoyed the wrestling sports news show. Like the wrestlers are on ESPN, but like inside the WWF's version of ESPN, you know, where they have the table, they're sitting down and Mr. Perfect is yelling at Jake, the snake, and they're going to have a match in a couple of weeks. And Ted DiBiase cackles at Jake as they walk off. Like like that's, that's good wrestling, man. It's fun to watch the old Bobby the Brain Heenan and Vince McMahon in the studio episodes. Charlotte Flair is going to be out for a couple months. Um, from what I've been told, it's cataract surgery. Um, hoping to be back by SummerSlam. Uh, kind of a loss for uh, for the top of the division. Although... Kind of a loss. <laughs> this company doesn't know what to do with itself without Charlotte. Well, okay. But on the other hand, this is also opportunity. This is how I view it. I'm not, and not in the, not in the Vince McMahon way, but rather in the, hey, you know, (laughs) because to me, Charlotte getting title matches every week isn't necessarily interesting. I think she's over pushed. I don't think she's over talented. Whoa, that's a hot take. (laughs) Yeah, but still. I'm, no, I mean, she's a great worker, but, like, they have been having her on all three shows, NXT, Raw, and SmackDown. There were weeks of this show where we watched three different Charlotte Flair matches. Like, that's a lot of Charlotte Flair. That's a, And she was in not insignificant matches. It wasn't, like, two squashes and a title match. It was, like, three title matches or three title defenses. This company has been crutching very heavily on title defenses recently as a way of hot-shotting interest. Really? Um, it Charlotte, is. Yeah. <laughs> And Charlotte Flair has been a major source of that problem. See, the the computer even agrees with me. It gave me the (laughs) correct sound. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. And I think that's part of the issue, too, is that she's in every kind of title hunt that you can think of, as opposed to kind of being built as the contender for one belt. It's like, it's obvious when they lost Becky Lynch to pregnancy, they were going to build the, uh, they're going to build the division around Charlotte and, and her being the star because that's they like star power so this is a this is a wrench in their plans as well um but i'm gonna find it interesting i'm hoping that you know that let's put it this way i hope the loss of charlotte gives more focus on eo shirai and aunt pam and sasha and uh and we, we continue on with that uh the undertaker the last ride ended with its final episode, with the twist being, it looks like The Undertaker has wrestled his final match, that being the Boneyard match re-shown on Friday Night SmackDown. Although, it looks like... Chris, is it possible that they did all that just for a swerve of him coming out of retirement to face Baron Corbin? I don't know how you do all that and then have the going-away show and... The going away show is like that. Even the whole Jeff Hardy being the sending the Undertaker, it just doesn't feel like the way the Undertaker really wants to go out. Oh, I, I, I think to he's going to be Chris, back. Chris, I have to cut you off. I have to bury the beginning of that show last night. That was every office birthday party I ever had to go to. All right, everybody, come in the conference room. We're going to have cake for Jeff. And Thank you, Larry. Just, it's just, ah. Uh, there wasn't clapping or singing like on this one, but it, it's just the awkward. 
is that really is 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 that a send off for the Undertaker? Not not some sort of thoughtful video package, maybe. I you know. I, I just I mean the, it could have just been especially given the news of the week, if you want to actually send off the Undertaker the right way, you rush produce a two hour compilation of some of the Undertaker's best matches. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Vader, Kane, you know, whatever supercut you want to make of The Undertaker, uh, obviously some of the streak matches, you, you, Triple H, because it's WWE, you put him, and you have two hours of nothing but classic Taker, maybe some classic promos, a little Paul Bearer tribute video at the beginning of this, there's a way to do this for real, even given the absolutely horrific news cycle that WWE is seriously in, and instead... They put on this show yet again, feeling kind of like detached from reality. And, and, and if it's a swerve for Taker to come back to have one last match with Baron <laughs> Corbin, I mean, God, really? Okay, no, I don't. No, I don't want it. Yeah, I a, a two-hour video package with a heartfelt goodbye at the end. You know, him talking into the camera and really thanking the fans or something. If it's a real, if it's a real retirement, I, 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 God, it feels, it feels like we're getting a Corbin match at an empty arena for SummerSlam. I, I, or maybe, (laughs) although they, they, they said this week, they're looking to start doing shows with fans again. So who knows? But what is going, surely they're going to be disabused of that, right? Especially in the wake of doing these tapings and putting fans, um, and, and in this case, fans who are friends of performers, very much at risk of COVID-19 exposure. It seems really improbable that WWE is going to be able to run in front of fans, or if they're going to run in front of fans, I'm. I imagine it'll be like, other things recently in the news here where you have to sign a waiver even to attend. And I think the if WWE keeps pressing ahead in in this negative press, they are going to have a very, very damaged company by the end of 2020. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm. They're hanging. They're, they're hanging by a thread right now. I, I, I don't think Vince realizes how precarious his position is. They, they are starting to become a national story, even though wrestling is not particularly relevant. People I know who don't follow wrestling at all have said, "Hey, what's going on with WWE and COVID nineteen? They're on people's radar for all the wrong reasons." Yeah. Um. <laughs> to, to the cherry on top of this Sunday. Chris, we have a name for Extreme Rules. The next pay-per-view. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Extreme Exposure? No. <laughs> WWE Extreme Rules. The Horror Show. Horror is always a bad word just because when people have to say it over and over and over again throughout the course of a night. Horror. Horror. It ends up getting blurred in people's mouths. So it's always a bad call on just that. And then obviously there's reality yet again creeping into this company that wants to operate in kayfabe 100% of the time. Uh. <laughs> Further to that, it looks like we're going to have another cinematic match as part of Extreme Rules. Uh, This time, a swamp fight between Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. Strowman cutting... uh, This promo last night was was cringe level. Yeah, the weird conditional outcome thing that he threw down at the end was strange, too. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's like... 
I don't actually know that I want to see him go either of those two paths. It looks like uh, they're I, doing a possession story too. Which, yeah, I think so. I mean, that's <laughs> that's gonna be weird. It's but, really weird for them to be revisiting the Wyatt's angle, especially given the fact that Mr. Brody Lee is now a featured character over on AEW, and Rowan's no longer with the company. Correct? Yeah. So you have this. Reference to the Wyatt family constantly, which is sort of like a Luke Harper. Remember Luke Harper? And like it, it actually kind of triggers the mind to think about, oh, yeah, what's Luke Harper up to on the other show? Numbers. NXT 786,000. Point nineteen twenty sixth in the ratings due to the demographic numbers. AEW 633,000. This was kind of surprising to a lot of people some people trying to explain it away i don't think any of these either of these numbers are anything to write home about chris i i just i i don't understand why we're doing the why we're doing the horse race with two companies that aren't it's a lighting horse race the world with, two fire. Compa- with two horses that keep slowing down uh, I, I mean even if you want to go well, who will win in this race the bar keeps getting lowered uh, of of what is quote-unquote fast. The hope was that either one or both of these shows would do a million, and it's absolutely unclear to me right now that if one of these two products shuttered up, that the other product would even get up to a million. Um, I, I think some of this is just we're keeping the television on to watch this. I think in the case of... AEW, the we're doing something new over here vibe is kind of gone. I, I think some of the the booking during this COVID-19 period has been a bit sloppy uh, is probably the best way. Like they, they've found points of strength, but like the shows have been inconsistent um, when it's good. It's good. Uh, but there have been times where the shows themselves have not been good shows. And with NXT, uh, I mean, the booking is just, it's the least inspired and the most meandering in a very long time with no clear sense of, well, what's going to come next or what are we even building to on this next show and and no feuds that feel particularly hot or particularly fresh. Um, You know, it's wrestling for wrestling's sake. Um, and I think it's good for the workers that they're still getting work right now, but the, the shows have not been fun shows to watch. And, and I think particularly as this news keeps breaking involving speaking out where you have, um, names of people that, you know, people were fans of, um, and people who were on this program, um, that they were fans of, it kind of gives you a, a weird vibe. Cause like, let's say you were an NXT UK fan. Uh, you're, you're probably listening to this show because there's only like five of us. Um, but it'd be, it'd <laughs> the be weird. Two, to... The only two Americans who have watched every episode of NXT UK is probably me and Joe Lanza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I stopped watching. Yeah. Even when they start doing the, uh, rehashes or whatever, but yeah, like, um, let's say you're, in a, it's got a, it's a weird vibe to watch now. Cause you know, let's say you bought into the Ligero push. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, <laughs> that didn't go the although, way your emotions look, were hoping. We never have to watch Travis Banks versus Ligero on NXT UK ever again. I mean, it, it, that uh, they're fine little matches as we like to call them, but they weren't, uh, they weren't going to drive us to watch next week. No, no, and I certainly, certainly, if Travis Banks was on my TV screen now, I'm just this is a walk away from the screen guy for me. No, so yeah, yeah, I, AEW to me right now is kind of a middling sports entertainment product in many ways. It, it's, yeah, it's yeah, not, there's some good matches in it's there, not a like professional the FTR wrestling stuff. product. They're still focusing on some of the cutesy stuff a little bit too much for my liking. And NXT is again, it's it feels like a Raw or a SmackDown with yellow ropes now. The Voices account and I were chatting, and I got thoroughly sussed because I was of the opinion, because it felt like, to me, NXT had a lot of Bruce Pritchard influence in it. I I was told by someone who would know that that is not the case, that a lot of this character development stuff is probably coming from the instincts of Road Dog. I I just have no interest in watching... Rhea Ripley thumb her nose at Nana Nana Boo Boo at the Robert Stone brand and now having a 
<laughs> she doesn't win either way in this match next week. I I don't. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is a ticket to the mid card for Rhea yes. Ripley. No matter how this match plays out, the the best case scenario is that she is moved away from this placeholder feud and that we forget about it. But I don't think we're going there. I think that Robert Stone remains a character in Rhea Ripley's orbit for a minute here. And he could be something, but they're not going he's just going to be this geeky character uh mid-card comedy. He he's going to be slick. He's going to be he's going to be the uh second-tier manager out there for laughs versus a guy of any serious importance. Yes, if they weren't so obsessed with making him a caricature, there's actually a very interesting character in the hyper-slick New York, L.A., coastal uh, D-bag character. Like, like, there's something there, especially if that D-bag actually had some stroke, knew how to play politics, could even trick Regal every now and again so that heels would find him valuable but you know that this guy's a, a slick little piece of uh whatever yeah I, like there's I, I know, something I there problem. with I know, that i know I, I figured it out i figured out the disconnect here if wrestling were about making money the robert stone brand would be about going in there finding a star marketing them getting influence within the company and building someone to make money with but because it's it's all about entertaining and putting smiles on the fa- on the smiles on the seats of the fans uh, <laughs> that's where their faces the, are jeff oh jeez well you know the butt as a no um but uh, yeah if, if, if instead it's about caricatures and puking in the ring and you're just like what the hell is this? No, but yeah, if stone and heel motivate, like if face motivation was about proving you were the best and glory and accolade as a validation of proving that you're the best and heel motivation was about making the most money, stone could be doing a DiBiase like million dollar brand. I'm trying to push like Damian priest would be an awesome pairing for a serious Robert stone where stone is trying to push this, you know, very urbane LA kind of guy in Damian priest. And he thinks that he's a million dollar talent, but doesn't care about priests well-being per se. He cares about priest as an asset that he's trying to build up. And he's often very effective in doing so, but like, you know, he's also, not thinking about this guy's best interest long term. All right, Chris, let's take 10 seconds here. Let's shake out the negativity. I'm wiggling. Let's talk about things we liked this week. Okay. I am starting off all hail Aunt Pam and Sasha. That thing Monday night was fan frigging fantastic it was oh oh here comes a turn here comes sasha challenging bailey i'm challenging oscar and they throw their heads back and cackle like geeky bad guys i absolutely loved it i loved that it was i loved that was a punch and kick beatdown of oscar you don't see those anymore in wwe land you'd see them doing their moves for the most part you don't see always hit the finisher it's always let's hit yeah. him with the finisher instead of just like let's pummel him in the corner. Yeah, and I liked the pummeling. I thought that was awesome. And yes, oh sweet dear baby wrestling in in oh, oh hose me for Sasha Asuka, because I'm here for that. I've been wanting this for a long, long time. Give me that, Chris. Give me this match. Give me this match and don't ruin it by having them go fifty fifty beforehand. No, and I'm glad that Sasha's the heel going into this because if like Oscar had to play heel and and Sasha was babyface, I don't think it's nearly as good. I think Sasha works better in this pairing as a heel. Um, I'm really excited for this. I don't want it fifty fifty. If anything, I would have had this beatdown also feature you know targeting a limb as well. You know, do the the classic heel thing to set up the match here. Tell the story of maybe Sasha working on a leg or something throughout the match to try to keep a. Uh, Asuka out, unable to kick her and kick her into submission. Uh, I'm very excited about this match. I think Bailey and Sasha are, are just, you know, they're, they're great on commentary. They're one of the real bright spots on this show. Um, and I'm glad that you let off with that. <laughs> they were great Friday, too, I thought, yes, on commentary. Yes, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, to your point about Charlotte, who are they going to have to depend on more here? I think one of the answers is going to be 
Bailey and Sasha, and like that's a good that's a good pivot point for this division right now. These two doing a two woman power trip. Oh yes, that's where I, yeah I was about to say I am here for them being a two woman power trip. I wouldn't even mind if Sasha got the title off of Oscar. I know. Look, I know the running joke. I know the running joke that Sasha's never defended the women's title anytime she's had it. I get that. But there's something about having two women having all the belts and leading to them leading it to them having their friendship crumble because of it. I'm here for this story. I'm all aboard this story. I think Bailey again has finally found this villain character. The way she threw her head back and laughed when 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 Sasha said Asuka was such a great visual, such a great moment in just just pro wrestling heel 101. You know, the the fake sincerity. Uh, it was Bailey's so good. slowly becoming a worse person than Sasha and Sasha doesn't even fully realize it right now because Sasha is you know a classic baddie uh, and so she's slowly I don't it hasn't fully dawned on her yet that Bailey has become worse and this is like the arc that we wanted to see uh between Bailey and Sasha no I, I also I don't hate the character wrinkle because like I think you know obviously it was not intentional initially and you know it's kind of become a running joke but I don't hate the character wrinkle that Sasha has yet to get over this hill of a successful title defense because I think it'll make a long Sasha run later on more meaningful because it's like this is her first long run with the belt Corey Graves asking if Bailey was gonna ask for a manager they're getting close Chris they're getting close to my dream of making her the ultimate Karen. They're not quite there yet. <laughs> I think what would be fun is when she separates from Sasha is that she actually gets a manager. It's so that she could keep asking for her manager. I'd like to speak to a manager and MVP comes out and I just roll. I, I would just roll. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And MVP manages her, but then every so often she just like berates the hell out of MVP yes. and eventually he gets fed up with her. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a – it could be a brief angle, but I, I don't – I oh, don't hate it. Chris, the irony that she becomes a Terrell Owens type to Drew Rosenhaus when the whole MVP character was based on Terrell Owens would be something. Uh, My second love letter, Chris, th this match, I believe – was booked for me and me alone. FTR versus SCU from AEW. Chris, they did a slingshot suplex, threw up the four fingers, and then later did the old Midnight Express Vegematic finisher. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I've been begging for them to do that um, on, on the Twitter Twitterverse. Um, SCU? Like, we've talked about Kazarian being good this year, and, I, I mean, I think this continues a streak of Kazarian being sneaky good throughout this whole year, uh, which, you know, he's not had a lot of bright spots, but he's great. I, I think FTR working as tweeners totally works. Um, I like, I, And if they ever go full babyface, I don't want them to ever be that much more babyface than they're currently working right now. I think that this is an entirely believable, sympathetic dynamic for FTR. And uh, yeah, dude, I love watching all the tandem offense. And you could just tell that these four guys were having a blast doing all of this. Yeah, they kind of. You could tell they kind of went, okay, tag team purist match. Let's do this. Uh, the only spot I, I I do not like that suplex to the outside spot. And and it was weird because I was thinking mostly because of the obtuse angle. You have to hold the guy as you're falling out of the ring when you when you pick him up and stuff. But um, wrestler Gran Akuma, basically explain a friend of voices and shake them ropes, uh, explained to me that that his problem with the move is that the guy doing the suplexing has to leave his feet before the final moment. Thereby oh, sure. having, thereby having that moment where you're not really in control of anything, and I could see that too. I, I always cringe at that move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not really in control, and what you have to do is hope that your body 
anchors you back the other way so that you guys land flat on your back rather than kind of in a rolling motion where you can really hurt the person you're suplexing. Um, the 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 showdown between the Lucha Brothers and FTR, uh, unfortunately, did not go as it was a little. It was scripted a little too tight, I think, between the Butcher and Blade saying we found partners and the reveal because it, but they were already a couple seconds ahead of the reveal there. Um, you know, I'm here for that match. I'm here for Lucha Brothers and FTR. I I, I don't want. I don't want FDR taking any of that Sierra Mero uh, nonsense to the face stuff like they've been doing. You know, my my issue with the Lucha Brothers has become been they've become a sports entertainment team as opposed to a wrestling team. And I, I hope that a feud between these two teams would uh, get them out of that a little bit. Yeah, my other kind of criticism of this is that we're just introducing too many characters into kind of a busy story right now. And I don't really feel like we've actually established FTR's characters and their interpersonal dynamic and kind of what makes them tick outside of the initial video package. Like I I know they did like some stuff with this, but having butcher and blade reset, uh, I think they look cool in this new look. I like it, but like they've changed uh, introducing the Lucha brothers. I'm, I'm interested in a feud between FTR and the Lucha brothers. That like sounds good, but I, take your time, man. There's there's no reason to rush through all of these things. I, I mean, the SCU and FTR matches could continue for like a best of three series, and I would have been fine with it. I, I think that they're blowing through some of these pairings rather than just letting it breathe. And uh, FTRs, if I was AEW right now, would be something I'd be trying to anchor the you know the b block or the c block of the show every week prior to the main event yeah i would be building stakes between butcher and blade and ftr since that was the first thing that they did i mean you have weeks to do this as opposed to well we need to put together all these teams and do a super card here for fighter fest or whatever i mean yeah no i I think the fighter fest match should have been ftr versus the butcher and the blade and the butcher and the blade have a good long form match against FTR. FTR ultimately goes over, but you make Butcher and Blade look strong. They maybe have a few tricks up their sleeve or you set up like the blow off match after this. Butcher and Blade go over because they introduce a gimmick and then we build to a gimmick match. FTR goes over and then you build to the next feud. Something because I have a couple more, but I, I want to give you some room here of things you love this week. Um, no, uh, we, we can we can keep going here uh, and then we still got to just like run through the cards, I suppose. Uh, I loved the Cody Rhodes press conference, and I loved that the two reporters were the fake reporters from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Oh, that's fun. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the Cody Rhodes press conference. I, I think that, like, Cody's stuff works really well. It just feels like it exists in a different kayfabe world than what AEW is. Yeah, it, uh, Matt Brock was the name of him. I forgot the other, the other one's named Kim. I can't remember it. But yeah, no, the, the two names that they used were the two kayfabe names that Pro Wrestling Illustrated used to do as, as columnists, which was basically Bill After writing things, or I believe it was Bill After writing things under a pseudonym. Uh, you know, I, I liked Arn's promo here. I liked Cody's promo here. And I liked Jake just coming in and being a jerk. I, I thought I thought it all worked. I thought it was great. But you get what I'm saying. It's like they're doing, with Cody's stuff, they do this New Japan style mm-hmm. Um, we're doing press conferences and like, I love that stuff over in new Japan, but it doesn't feel like the FTR stuff would ever exist in this weird press conference world. Right. Uh, I think it could maybe, but like what they're doing right now in the ring with butcher right and now. Blade, no, it doesn't right now. Right, no, it, right now and, they're doing a little our, bit too much stone cold Steve Austin. Even the Hikaru Shida stuff, like it, it just it doesn't feel like it exists quite in the same world as Cody's stuff. Right. There's just a bit of inconsistency. Yeah, Cody's feels like this is big business pro wrestling, and the other stuff feels like it's a little too WWE. Like driving in on the truck and coming in to do their match. You know, I, I you know, I get it. I get what they're trying to do with that. It's not clicking for me just yet. Yeah. Um. Orange Cassidy. And Chris Jericho, I largely liked this. I, I I thought that Orange Cassidy, 
uh, the the part where he didn't talk and he instead just did the stuff that Jericho hates. I I liked I even liked the whole structure of Jericho's promo to highlight the stuff that people have legitimately criticized Cassidy over and kind of work that into his heel character. Um, it's a clever way of taking the str- the sting out of some of those criticisms, but also like working it in in a believable way. And then I thought that Cassidy, for his part, during the beatdown of Jericho, did a great job. He showed tons of fire. Like Orange Cassidy's babyface fire is really good. And then. Him bleeding at the end, uh, perfect. Like like that that final spot, like that they went off right. And I, Orange Cass, he doesn't need to juice too often, but I do like him being cool as a cucumber when he gets juiced. And I also enjoy him going from utterly incensed to trying to recompose himself. <laughs> like he does a good job selling that as well. Uh, much like the Becky Lynch broken nose picture, I, I think I think AEW's fools if they don't come out with T-shirts with red ink on them of Orange Cassidy, you know, an Orange Cassidy shirt with the red ink like the blood. I think that would be a big seller for them. Yeah, no, he's got something. He's got something for real. Um, I and I was someone who didn't get it early on, and like I, I think he's had to grow into this character, and I think that Jericho's been able to bring out the intensity and the babyface fire thing that. A lot of his more comic wrestling stuff had been pulling the teeth out of, but like Cassidy, he does, he's close to the Shamrock. Like Shamrock to me has always been the gold standard of like babyface fire intensity, but like Cassidy's someone who I get like light Shamrock vibes from. And like that's a really good thing. Uh, that's what you're looking for out of an underdog babyface just waylaying. I like his punches, he looks good. <sighs> Two fantastic moments in unrepentant stupidity this week in wrestling. Uh, we'll go to the one least seen by most people on this show to seek out New Japan Cup. Toru Yano versus uh, oh, Hiromo uh, Takahashi. Oh, nice, nice. I haven't seen this, but I've heard good things. Uh, basically, Toru Yano gets shoved into an elevator and counted out. After cutting a piece of Takahashi's hair. Fantastic. Toru Yano, 12 stars. The other one, and it shocked me, because after last week's bad vignette, I didn't have hopes for this. The Undisputed Era's... (laughs) Get in the trunk, Roddy. (laughs) All he does is get in the trunk, and they, they clap for him. Oh, you got a match later on tonight. It was so stupid. But it was so pro wrestling great. Yeah, no, Kyle O'Reilly as the psychologist is very funny. I like I I mean, no, it's it's dumb, but like it's what I like about the way they're doing the undisputed era's characterization is like they're all lunks. And Cole's the smartest of them, but none of them are particularly bright. But like, and and that's kind of, they can pull it together, but I I just, I like the heels being slightly dumb. Um, I I kind of, it's a different, it's a change of pace for WWE style booking. They normally make the heels too smart. And in this case, at least the heels are stupid. And, And in order to make the Dexter Loomis thing work, the only way it works is if the face is smart, um, but outnumbered and the heels are kind of dumb, like in a horror movie. And for me, finally, look, I, I know I, I say this a lot, but Casey Catanzaro looks like a child in that ring. And next to Raquel Gonzalez, that was an awesome squash. I enjoyed the hell out of this. It looked like someone's child was taking a beating in there. I get it. I think Casey Catanzaro as a tag team wrestler is a perfect fit. I like this team of Dakota and Raquel. I like uh, I, I like the Big Mama Cool HB Kai type of uh, type of dynamic there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to get my teeth really into any of these characters right now. But I, I don't think it's it's not a knock on Dakota Kai. I think Dakota Kai is great. Um, Raquel Gonzalez, I. I think they're doing you know, a bit of a cookie cutter thing with her, but I, I, I've always, I've, I like Gonzalez. I think she's talented. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, they're got, they, they just like big, 
big acts more than small acts. I I think I just it's, but it, but it gave her you know some impressive spots and Casey Catanzaro is light enough where she can do some flying and you can still catch her in the air. That's always kind of been my problem with Brian Cage as he works with these small guys. And then he insists on doing these like extreme Lucha Libre. You got to catch me moves. Mm -hmm. And, and physics don't work out for him sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's, especially watching him on Lucha Underground. He had a lot of great matches. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan, but like, I've also definitely watched the guy put the person who's supposed to quote-unquote catch him uh, really in an impossible position where physics just simply don't allow for that smaller wrestler to do the catching. Yeah, and there's an Aerostar match at one of the bolas where, you know, you could just see Brian Cage wanting to just do all these feats of strength with the little Aerostar, but, you know, <laughs> catching a guy in a suplex position is a little hard because there's momentum there <laughs> and it just it just it didn't it didn't go off quite as they wanted but uh you know i think this is a pretty good overview of wrestling is there anything major you wanted to kind of go over this week other than the stuff we've hit on e, um let's see here uh, dexter luminous roddy strong we did that uh carrion cross defeats bronson reed i i like i like bronson reed i actually thought that this match was pretty good yeah, um, I, like I like what they're yeah. doing with Karen Cross. I just have them and yeah. they have them kill guys and get out of there. I don't know about the, the Scarlet stuff. Of... Yeah, you know the Scarlet stuff. They're still messing up, but the actual Karen Cross matches are are working for me. He's getting that like Glacier Wrath style push, and I think it works. Uh, now we've got Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano. I, I mean, I just not interested in this Finn Balor character and uh, Johnny. Needs to have gold, I think, to really kind of make this whole thing work. Um, let me see here. Uh, I'll throw in something it. while you're looking. Yeah, I, I liked okay, the Street Profits uh, Viking Raiders match, but you know, I, I just I thought the entire that as the blow off for the feud, it's kind of confusing to me. Uh, the Akira Tozawa having Lashley come out and kill the ninjas. I just, I was like, and then to have basically Tozawa win the 24-7 title, that's the end of the ninjas until there's, yeah, I, I guess they're going to just table the uh, Big Show versus Giant Ninja thing in favor of the Randy Orton feud. I, you know, did something happen? It, it might, it might even be a thing where shows like I don't want to, you know, be doing this right now. Maybe, maybe they weren't able to keep doing that storyline anymore. Um, was, I feel, oh, Matt Hardy versus Santana. Um, I like Matt Hardy. I, I, his, the in-ring stuff, uh, I, I, I like the versions of Hardy as in analog to the faces of Foley, but Matt's not having McFoley level matches right now. No, he's still trying to work like he's a 25 year old. Yeah. And I, I need him to kind of tweak the style up. Um, I just kind of mix it up it, i mean the versions are fine there's nothing wrong with you know being different iterations of self from time to time here but like i the match style needs to change I, and it's weird to watch him it's weird to watch him as the baby face against these like underdog heel guys like santana i liked anna jay being reintroduced as a baby face and then immediately being taken into the dark order that was uh last week Oh, was it? I thought that was this week. My fault. No, that was last week. Uh, this blends. week they did the Colt Cablana. Uh, the Colt Cablana. Colt Cabana. Yeah, yeah. Cablana. Pulp Cablana uh, peppers, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pulped Poblano. Um, Yeah, no. He uh, had the match with Mr. Brody Lee and he got the pin. And, you know, the attempt to get Colt to join the Dark Order continues. I don't think it takes. It seems really. It seems to me like Colt doesn't have a maybe he has a heel character that he wants to shuffle into but i i think that this is a red herring and that he ultimately has like a match with mr Brody lee you know what i think this is turning into i think this is going to be aew's version of jimmy boogie woogie man valiant versus paul jones's army i think the dark order is going to continue to get members and continue to run them against cole cabana when he turns although i'm enjoying the story for right now I, i'm liking that colt's kind of being uh he's kind of being tempted by the dark side but he hasn't given fully in yet and he still has reservations about it, it it's not a bad mid-card story 
No, it's not a bad mid-card story. It sure isn't. And even the if you'd build it the right way, Colt's a sympathetic babyface, and you'll want to see him get his comeuppance against Mr. Brody Lee. Mr. Brody Lee is a really good final boss for Colt Cabana's character to have to go up against after he gets through all the Dark Order guys. No, I, I agree with you. Um, And that's a nice long form, you know, B block program for AEW to build their show around. Uh, I agree. And Taz is fantastic as a mouthpiece. Yeah, he sure is. Taz very underappreciated. I I think that what he's doing, I, I even like that you can see the tension and divergence a little bit between Cage and like Taz is doing a good job keeping it together right now. But but they have a difference of worldview and that is there. Yeah, I, I remember when, when Taz, he was a Taz maniac in ECW, and I was still watching uh, uh, syndicated ECW TV uh, week to week, and they brought in a guy to do a color commentary on a Chris Benoit match, and you just hear him, and he's like, wow, there's something to this guy, and they introduced him at, they, it was the reborn as Taz thing, and you're like, oh, there's something here. And over the years, you know, you had the SmackDown color commentator, wacky Taz type thing, but but intense Taz is the best Taz for me. I agree. No, I, I think when he's intense, uh, he's as good as anyone in terms of being intense Taz. Uh, Don't get me they, wrong. I like soft shoe, hat and cane, entertaining the fans Taz. He can be very funny sometimes, but when Taz is angry... I get on the edge of my seat and I start to listen. Those Taz promos in ECW when he was champion, those are always great. Uh, he just has a real way of kind of commanding the microphone and commanding the camera. Uh, and I even think, you know, this, this version of Taz still, like, he has a great villain character in him still. Absolutely. No, there, there's a lot of tread left on those tires. And, and giving Brian the uh, survive if you can. Or uh, win if you can, survive if we let you. Tagline that that's that's just a massive show of respect right there. Absolutely, and, and Cage is a very fitting inheritor to like the Taz legacy, especially if, if Taz or if Cage ultimately becomes more grounded because he's just like so big and so intimidating. He's Taz and Rhino were you know small guys who really occupied a lot of space in the ring and really exuded a big aura. Yeah, and I could I could see someone like Jeff Cobb coming back in and coming under Taz's tutelage as well, and him having both of those guys as kind of a stable. Yeah, right. Oh, that's a that's a fun stable. I'm into that. Oh, that's enough graps for me for the week. You can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. Chris is hot and heavy into all the politics of COVID and whatnot on his. Don't worry about the government. He's going to tell you about that now. Yeah, you can check it out on iTunes, on Stitcher, and now Jeff. On Spotify, don't worry about the government. Search for it on any of those three platforms. You can do it. You can go there. Uh, we're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash DWATG. Follow us on Twitter, at DWATG. The other show I do is the All in the Family podcast, you know, on, on hiatus, in hibernation. But we'll be back. The band the band gets back together and plays every so often, uh, probably a couple few times a year here still. We're not done with it, but we're also kind of, you know, at a point and, and, and we'll be back uh but you can check it out there uh and everybody please stay safe and for the love of god wear your mask going to give a quick shout out to my friend craig mann who is on twitter at violent miracle also on instagram at violent miracle if you have not yet signed up for his mailing list for compilation tapes quote unquote do so um i spent my Friday night last night, watching the goodness of Terry Bam Bam Gordy in all Japan. Uh, a few other compilations there he has of Tiger Mask, of one of Vader, which is a lot of fun. Uh, link is at his bio, at Violent Miracle, all one word. Talk to you next week.